Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, welcome along to the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Sport and life. Ed Draper here with you, a sports broadcaster in the UK. Appreciate you joining us for this one. I hope you are well. Hoping uh, you're going to have a big week ahead. Thank you also to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Remember, through that sister company, Serene AV, Jason Briggs and his fine team can source you whatever home entertainment system meets your needs, your budget, your vision, notwithstanding all the, the wonderful equipment Bang Olufsen store in their uh, little shop in Courtyard in Montpellier. So whatever you're looking at, worth getting in touch with. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, you can look for them online, B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media as well, documenting particularly all the latest Bang Olufsen equipment they do stock, but above and beyond through Serene AV, worth touching uh, touching base and just seeing what they can do for you. Thank you also to Cytoplan, which is a food-based uh, supplement company. Again, not far from here in the west of England beautiful village called Hanley Swan. They've been devising, I think, for more than two decades, food-based supplements. My father, for 20 years, has been acting as a consultant there. He is a Dr. Mark Draper, who is a nutritionist, micronutritionist in particular, and a general practitioner doctor. And he's uh, fascinated by trace elements and the importance of them, the diminishing presence of them in our food due, due to overcrop rotation and things like that. So he's a big advocate for Cytoplan supplements. If you'd like to try them, whether it's a bespoke supplements something specific like a vitamin d vitamin d you may call it or whether it's more of a sort of rounded multivitamin that you're looking for worth checking out cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and as ever grateful that they share the discount they give my uh, dad and, and our family after 20 years of working with them with you which is 30 percent off your first purchase 10 percent thereafter and the discount code at checkout is draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter r also just wanted to mention a service that we are offering a life story service called attic box audio in cheltenham in the west of england and roughly a 25 mile radius but it's worth getting in touch with us through this company attic box audio basically i sit down with members of the public, everyone's story is fascinating. It's not talking about famous sports people here. It's just talking about people's twists and turns, typically senior people, but could be people of whatever age group, just to uh, tease out the stories, the meanings, the kind of memories that uh, connect generations. For us, it's something we began in lockdown. My wife and I, sat, I was sitting down with all our members of family, just thinking we want to hear those voices down the generations that my daughter has the chance to know all about her grandparents, where they grew up, their childhood memories, etc. So it's called Attic Box Audio, atticboxaudio.co.uk. So A-T-T-I-C-B-O-X box, audio, A-U-D-I-O.co.uk. It's a subsidiary of our website, drapermedia.co.uk. But worth checking out, it's interesting. You can do Zoom for people living further afield, particularly if you're listening to this in the United States or Australia. But it's a service that I think works best in person, impossible, where I just come to someone's home, sit down, 
and record a conversation doing what I've done for 20 years as a sports broadcaster, but in the context of an individual's life story. As I say, they're all fantastic and all count. Anyway, let's get on to the podcast today. Uh, this is a fine gentleman, had the good pleasure of working with the last year or so. Jay Bothroyd is a fantastic footballer, was a fantastic striker, just retired at the age of 40 without ever needing an operation, which very envious. He's obviously got great genetics in terms of his uh, resistance to injury, but very relaxed guy. And I wonder if that's helped on the injury front and also his ability to move around lots of different clubs in lots of different countries during his career. Played in the Premier League, Queen's Park Rangers amongst them, started at Arsenal, but then also had spells in Italy as a young man, really young man in Perugia, in the Serie A, which was the kind of the, the league at that time, the best league in Europe, arguably, with AC Milan, the top team in Europe uh, in particular. He played against some legends and he then towards the last five, six years, he's played in Thailand and Japan and he's played for England as well. Wonderful story. It is the one and only Jay Bothroyd. Really enjoyed this and hope you do too. Hey, Bothroyd, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's great to be here. Thanks. Good, good, good. You are an Arsenal fan, aren't you? you uh, you're reeling from oh, last night. Are you going to go straight for that one already? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, this will probably go out next week, so you never know what's going to happen on the final Sunday. So you, <laughs> you may ease me into it. <laughs> <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may yet sneak in, but I don't know. It's the top four. But we're speaking off the back of the, uh, the Newcastle loss. But it's interesting with Arsenal because it always seems to me the last couple of years it's either been adulation or like despair hasn't it yeah I, I think from the beginning of the season if you said to all the fans at the beginning of the season you'll take fifth I think yeah. everyone would have said yeah of course but I think from where we was which is a terrible start to the season to then the middle part that was great and being in complete control I think it was around mid-March six points clear of Tottenham yeah game in hand from in that position there, I, you know, for me, I was like, this is like going to happen. We're going to get in the Champions League spot. It has to happen, you know. But I mean, obviously, it's not happened that way. And that's why I'm more disappointed. Mm. Not because of the season as a whole. I think from the beginning, like I said, it's good. But from where we were in complete control, you know, then Conte coming in and then basically turning Tottenham around and now they've overtaken us. It's just been a disaster, really. Yeah, how much do we read from the outside about the impact managers make? Because you've been in the game for 20 plus years. Yeah. Because we look at it and we, we look at it on paper and say, well, Arsenal have lost six games, as you say, in the last two months that they've, Arteta hasn't done a good job. But we're, we're watching it from afar and making these judgments. What do you think? Is it that easy to, to assess that Conte's done a great job and Arteta's struggled the past couple of months? Or is there loads of intangibles like injuries, form, just the way that players are, are getting on their personal lives? Yeah, I think injuries, obviously, and, and suspensions and whatnot at key times has been has been uh, has been a problem for Arsenal. Um, yeah. The discipline has been a big problem, and I think we've seen that. I think you know Arsenal's probably the worst worst in the Premier League, which isn't great. Um, but I think the Conte coming into Tottenham, and I was one of those people that I wanted Conte to come to Arsenal <laughs> before. Yeah. <laughs> Before um, Arteta went there, but I mean, he's a serial winner. And I think when you have a serial winner like that, that has a mentality of that, I think that resonates to his team, to his players. And I think we've seen that. Mm. And I think that's why Tottenham has gone from strength to strength. And that's why Arsenal haven't. I'm not saying that Arteta is a crap manager. 
Mm. I'm just saying this is a big job for him for his first job. People like Patrick Vieira have more experience than him. Frank Lampard have more experience than him because they've had previous jobs. And I think that in itself is a big deal when it comes to you know managing a club like Arsenal. What what is the the, the ingredient that you've had in your career? What have the best coaches had that's inspired you? That's inspired teams that, that you've played and created that environment. Not only in the first eleven, but in the in the squads around. Because it does seem that Conte has made a significant impact on Tottenham. I don't know whether it's standards yeah. with him, with mindset, whether it's tactics, whether it's the way that the formation is set out. What what were the keys for you in terms of the best coaches and, and perhaps you don't have to name them, but the less less effective yeah. coaches. I mean, I think overall a great coach can do a number of things, which is man management, tactics, and, you know, he raises the, the morale of the dressing room when when a, when a team hasn't played more, when you've lost games. And yeah. um, for me, Dave Jones was that guy for me. He was fantastic. Um, mm. I had a terrible time at Wolves um, um, with a manager there. And I was very low at a point. Um, you know, I got my squad number taken off me. I got told to change in the youth team dressing room. I wasn't even allowed to train with the first team. And, you know, I hadn't even done anything wrong. Wow. Um, but then Dave Jones called me one day when I was on my way to training. Because at that point, it had got to, I'm just training for my next team now. Yeah. So um, he called me one morning when I was on the way to training. And he just basically said, listen, I've got permission to talk to you. Actually, when he, when he <laughs> called me, it was like, Dave Jones, and then that guy from Sky Sports, what's he calling me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of like like one of those ones, really. Mm. Um, but then he said, yeah, Cardiff manager. And then he says, listen, turn your car around, get yourself down to down to Cardiff. And then I got down there and he just basically spelled it out for me. Um, mm. And it was good because Terry Burton was there, who was his first team coach who had it. Who, who had a background at Arsenal as well. So, you know, I knew that the football there that was going to be played was going to be like total football, pass and move, possession-based, um, which suited me down to the ground because, you know, even though I'm six foot three, yeah. I don't look at myself as a target man. Yeah. And in those days in particular, if you're my kind of stature, you're deemed a target man. And things have changed now yeah. where you can, you know, Unless you're French like Cantona or something, then they give you a bit of a break. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, and then he said to me, come down. So I'm down then. My mindset as I was getting down there was, listen, this time I have to be really focused. Um, I have to make my f myself indispensable to begin with. Mm. And then, you know, build on that. And that's what I did. You know, he gave me the platform. He says to me, listen, I mean, it wasn't as cutthroat as this, but it was kind of like, you can do what you want from Monday to Wednesday, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I mean, Thursday, Friday, you're preparing for the game and Saturday, I need a performance. And that's mm -hmm. what he said to us, but he, he, that's what worked for me. For other players, it might not work. Um, and I know that he he did that with a few players in our dressing room um, in particular, but um, he, he was great for me. He was great for the club. Um, he, he always tried to make it joyous, Mm. Even when we was going through a tough time or had a tough result, he always took responsibility. He didn't let the media, you know, kind of, I don't know, castrate us in, in, in the newspapers mm. or whatnot. So he, he was that guy for me that kind of got the best out of me. 
how difficult was it leaving Cardiff then? Because you've, you've moved around a lot, haven't you? Was it was that a point where you felt felt low? Because what, what year was that? And where, was it QPR after Cardiff? Was it? I'm trying yeah, to it was QPR yeah. after Cardiff. I think it was in 2011 or 12. Yeah. I can't remember. Then maybe. Yeah. But it it was around that kind of time. And it was sad for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, my contract was running down. And it was, it, was, it was a strange situation, actually, because I actually went to them previously after my first year yeah. and asked for a new contract. And then I went to in the second year and asked for a new contract as well. And they, they said, no, they can't. Um, so now in my third year, where I'm like top goal scorer, one of the top goal scorers in the league, mm. um, I've, I've got called up for England. My contract's running down. Like, I'm in, you know, probably the best position a football player could be in. <laughs> Is it, this is in the um, Prem at the time, is it? Premier League? Yeah. No, this is in the Championship. Championship. So and you got called up for England in the Champ. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It doesn't happen every day. So it's mm. like, okay, now I've been called up to the, the national team. You know, Capello's not going to keep calling me up if I stay in the Championship. I've got to, like, you know, move to the Premier League. So when we missed out on um, getting to the Premier League with Cardiff that season, it was really hard for me because... You know, I love being in Cardiff. I love the, the city. You know, I had a great rapport with the fans. You know, Dave Jones was fantastic. I, you know, had great friends there, um, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch. So it was really hard for me to leave. But I knew I had to in order for me to try and, you know, grow and, and, be, and be successful and, you know, try and get more England caps. Yeah, because you'd have been about 28 then, wouldn't you? And you, you went to QPR, yeah. which I guess is, say you like Cardiff, but your home, your hometown is, is London. So you're back in, back in London. But that was a wild time at QPR, wasn't it? As I remember with the Italian ownership. Yeah, I had this conversation recently, actually, with, some, with a QPR fan. And I was saying that the plan to get to the Premier League by the QPR owners and, you know, in the board and whoever it was, was amazing. It was mm. a great plan. And it was executed perfectly. But then there was no plan when we was in the Premier League. Yeah. And that was a problem. And there was a big divide in the dressing room. We had, I think we had four managers in, in the space of like two years. Um, so you couldn't really settle. And I didn't have a great time, to be perfectly honest, if I look back. But the only thing I would say about being a forward in the Premier League is that when you're always on the back foot and you're always defending mm. and, you know, you're basically team depressing you and you're just, you know, long balls are coming up to you and you have to try and hold it up. You don't get a chance every week. Like where in the championship, I'd probably get two or three chances a game. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough to really perform, whereas defenders and midfielders, they can perform because they can get stuck in, they can keep possession of the ball, um, they, they can intercept, they can, you know, they're 1v1 against a striker, so all they have to do is, like, keep him quiet. Mm. You know, whereas for a forward, generally, you're, you know, you have to score, you have to assist. Yeah. And, it, and it's difficult to do that when you're playing in a team that's fighting for renegation. Yeah, I bet. And it's an interesting point, that, because there'll be a lot of focus, won't there, on Fulham coming up. Alexander Mitrovic, was it, what, 43 goals in the end? I think he ended oh, up in the, amazing, in the championship. And people will say, like, oh, will he be able to do it in the Premier League? But I guess what you're saying there is that actually it's not necessarily about the player themselves, particularly when you're forward, you're so reliant on, on service that you, you can't make those sort of sweeping judgments that this is a player who's a championship player and this is a, a Premier League player. Yeah, 100%. I mean, what Mitrovic has done in the championship was, like, it was outrageous, weren't it? Like yeah. 43 goals is, I mean, I, that, I'm not sure that record can be broken in, in my lifetime no. because it's that special. 
Um, Fulham are a great team in the championship, but now they have to make that step up. It's going to be difficult for Mitrovic to have that kind of effect on his team because, it, like I said, in the championship, you, it, Fulham dominated. So mm. they would get like two, three, four chances a game. And, you know, if you're you know a one in three striker, you're probably going to score every game almost. Mm. Um, but in the Premier League, it's not going to be that way. You might get one chance a week. And, you know, there's not many one-in-one strikers. Yeah. You know, the one-in-one strikers <laughs> are the best in the world. You know, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, them kind of people. Um, Lewandowski's, mm. Harry Kane's. Um, so it's going to be tough for Mitrovic this year. Um, but he has to do his best he can. He has to lead the line. And one thing I would say about Mitrovic is that he, he can hold the ball up. So he's not one of them forwards that just live and die by goals. Mm. He can hold the ball up. He can, you know, help his team get up the field. But again, it's gonna, Fulham are going to be majority of the time, you know, defending and kind of playing counter-attack, I'm, I'm guessing. I can't yeah. see them, you know, outplaying, especially the, the top eight. Premier League teams but I mean it's going to be great I can't wait to see them actually in the Premier League I want to see how they adjust this time I think the manager's done a fantastic job so I mean it's, it, it can be exciting times for Fulham I mean they can build if they spend a bit of money as well you know yeah. who knows where they can go yeah, it's weird, like the, the, the fabled yo-yo club, isn't it? They've been three promotions in, in five seasons and how they approach it. But what is that like as a, a mindset? Because we sometimes look from our armchairs and think, oh, he's a championship player, whatever. But actually what you don't realise is that most of you guys were the best player in your school, maybe the best player in your county. And then you're having yeah. to, you're going from the championship where they've got that swagger and they're going forward and they're attacking and they're dominating teams. How is that a mindset shift that you become an underdog? Is that the summer when you, when you go to the Prem, you start to think differently or, you or do you, you, know, do you need funny, it? You don't, it's funny because you said, it. it's funny because you don't necessarily feel like you're the underdog. Yeah. But then as time goes on, you understand that you are. Yeah. And you understand that first and foremost, you have to keep a clean sheet. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember the first few games of QPR, we didn't go into it. Seeing, I think we played Wolves the first game as well. So I think they just got promoted as well. Mm. But we didn't go into it feeling like we were underdogs. But then as time went on, we realised that we wasn't as good as the other Premier League teams and we had to play a different way. And at the time, you know, when you're getting promoted from the Championship, you had luxury players. You know, Adele Terrap was there. Um, obviously, I was there. DJ Campbell was there, who, yeah. who, who played well. And then some, you know, some foreigner players um, came in. Uh, Esteban Granero, Jibril Cisse came, and wow. um, Chris Samba came. Like, we had, we had some good individual players, but we just didn't... We, we wasn't good enough as a team. Mm. And I think that's what you need in the Premier League. And I think that's what you, I mean, that's what you've seen from the likes of Brentford this year. They've been yeah. fantastic. Um, they've had a great team spirit. They, you know, they don't have the greatest individual players, but they have a great system. They have a good manager. He's got them organised and they've got, you know, morale where they can go behind, but they still believe that they can get a result. Yeah. And that that's great. Like even, up, you know, I watched Arsenal against Tottenham and I'm thinking, okay, two behind at half time. I'm thinking, you know, you can still get a result. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, even last night, two two behind. Like we can if you really believe, you can still get a result. The teams that I grew up watching, the Arsenal teams especially, it didn't it didn't matter if you went two <laughs> behind, it didn't matter if you had 10 men, they genuinely believed they could still get a result. That's what you see with Liverpool 
That's what you see with Man City the other day. There was, you know, two behind. And then they come back and get a draw. That's, you know, the strength in, in within the squad. And that's, you know, that resonates from the, the coach. Is, is, this, is it just the coach or is it something intangible, like a momentum at clubs when you've gone to different clubs, some on the up, some on the down? Because you look at, I'm a Manchester United fan, you look at the picture there, it feels like you can spend £100 million on this player or that player yeah. to come in. And then there's almost this malaise that just sucks the energy out of them when they get to yeah. the, the club. It's like it's just momentum's going in one way and it's really hard, yeah. however, however the quality is there. We've had Mourinho, you've had Van Gaal, great CVs, and you think, well, what's the, you know, what is the answer? Do you think there is something sometimes at clubs beyond the, the immediate managers and players to get stuck in a kind of a momentum. Look at Oldham just got relegated out of the Football League after being a Premier League yeah. team when I was a boy. I mean, yeah, I do agree with that. But I think there needs to be leadership on the field as well. I look at Man United especially. I don't see the leaders that they've always had in their squads. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Roy Keynes, the, the Gary Nevilles, you know, the Steve Bruce's, you know, Cantona's. That, that we've seen over the years. You, you don't see that no more. A lot of them seem a bit fragile mentally. Um, and when, you know, when it when they are on a low, they're on a real low. And, and you can see that. I had the conversation the other day about Man United and I, I think they've got very good players still. They've got mm. talented players. Like they've, for me, if you go player for player, player for player, they've got better players than Arsenal. But mm. Arsenal are in fifth now. And, you know, I don't even know where they... Seventh, 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 seventh. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what is that? Why is that? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do think it is to do with the manager as well. But I think with Man United, there's, there's a, a demand for success. If you don't go there and you're not successful, if you're not competing for the title after a couple of years, you're not doing a good job. You know, you always need to be competing, whereas other clubs, they don't need to be. They just need to have, you know, a good... You can finish third. And, you know, have a good cup run and that's a successful season. Whereas Man United, I think they need to be winning stuff pretty much every season yeah. to be a success. And I think that's why they, they haven't given managers time. They're not allowed to have time. I think now with Ten Hag going there, hopefully, you know, the fans, the media, you know, the players believe into what he's bringing to the club. And, you know, he's able to have that time where he can, he can build something like he's done at Ajax. Yeah, it yeah it feels like it's about accepting where you are here and now as well because it's been been nine years incredibly since Sir Alex Ferguson left since the last Premier League title and it's flown by but you think you've got to stop being haunted by the past and just sort of okay we're hey, seven. I've seen I, I said this the other day as well. Alex Ferguson done much more with much less. Um, yeah. Wenger done much more with much less. And I know the league is different now, but mm. they you know they still had to do it in that day and age. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've looked at. You know, Arsenal teams where you think, bloody hell, he's not, he's not a good player, but they always finished in the top four. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, so I think... It, well, what, I think what, was that, what was that like? Because you grew up as a kid in, under the Wenger reign, didn't you? In the late 90s at Arsenal uh, Academy. What, what was that time like at the club? It was, it was amazing. I, I, you know, at that point, it was just... Arsene Wenger came coming to Arsenal. It changed my game. Because mm. before he came... It was a situation where remember Alan Smith was there, yeah. So it was kind of like oh, big Alan Smith. Before it can be that Alan Smith, (laughs) you know, holds the ball up. He's got a good touch, and it was always like he's got a good touch for a big man, which I think in itself is, you know, is derogatory. You shouldn't, you know, if you've got a good touch, you've got a good touch. So you get you get get stereotyped in football by your height, basically, don't you, or your frame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then when Arsene Wenger came in, it was a case of we're playing possession, we're playing games, the ball can't go overhead high. You know, the ball can't go over your waist high. It was all, you know, technique-based, and all passing drills all the time, like warm-ups were just passing drills and then you stretch in between. Um, and it was great for me, but it's also great that I could watch, you know, these great players in front of me, the Burkamps, Henri's, Carnus, mm. um, that I tried to like wow. build my game around. I tried to take bits and bobs from, from those players. And, and to be honest, I, I, I most emulated my game on Burkamp because I thought we had similar similar sorry, mm. um, attributes, as in technique-based. You know, I like to drop deep. I like to make passes in behind. I, obviously, I, I used to score, but I, I used to like the link-up in between the midfield and, and, and attacking as well. Um, but I remember we used to, like, come off the pitch, especially in the summer, because we used to train earlier than the first thing. We just used to sit on the corner of the pitch yeah. and watch them train the whole day. Like, <laughs> so we, we would finish like, 11 or something, and... We would watch them train from 11 to like one. Yeah. And that was good. And we all used to like take that information in. We all used to say, you know, I want to be like him. Now, if I was myself walking off the Arsenal pitch, I'd be thinking to myself, I'm going home because I think I'm better than these people now. Yeah. Well, Lacazette, Lacazette's got two goals from open players near this season as the, mean, the main striker. The and, and it's not just me. I know that my group, we was very confident in ourselves you know we was borderline arrogant especially when we was on the pitch yeah. um, but there was only two teams that could we really focused on beating in, in our age group, and that was um, West Ham um, uh, and then there was Nottingham Forest as well when we played them in the Youth Cup they were they were pretty good but apart from that there was no one that we really thought could live with us when we, when we was playing in the, in the youth team wow um, you know, and, and that was our arrogance, that was our confidence. But obviously we had the team spirit and we had the belief as well, which was great. It's, it's, it's funny how we talk a lot about prejudice and, and discrimination. Obviously, as a, a sort of black guy, you can relate to that. But it's interesting in nationality that because you're English, it's like, oh, you can be the Alan Smith, but you want to be the Dennis Bergkamp. But almost you think it's almost unheard of then 20 years ago for an English striker to say, oh, I want to drop deep like Cantona. Maybe Matt Letizia at Southampton did that. Yeah. But it was yeah. it was quite rare to be the, the creative striker, wasn't it, as an Englishman? Yeah, exactly. And and I've had I've had problems like that in, in my career where, even for example, when I was at Wolves that we're talking about, mm. I, the manager wanted me to play as a target man. He wanted me to run channels. He wanted me to, um, you know just control the ball, get it wide, get back in the box for a, for a cross to score a mm. header. That wasn't my game. You yeah. Know? And I think the best managers get the best out of the player. Because, you know, how come I haven't got a squad number? How come I'm trained, getting changed in the dressing room? And then three years later, I'm playing for England. Yeah. You know, France or Wembley. Like, what's the difference? You know, my, my ability hasn't changed. Maybe my application has because I enjoyed it more under Dave Jones. But... Mm. You know, my ability hasn't. And it's up to the manager, I believe, to get the most out of their players. And that's why the top managers are the top managers, because they do that regularly. And it, it, it's silly as well, because I'm very, I mean, I played momentarily a bit semi-pro football, but then at university at Loughborough, but you had coaches that would just kind of destroy you. And you kind of felt at the time, what's the advantage of this for you? Because you might actually need me to, to play, but actually I'm not going to be able yeah. to play. It seems weird that you'd ostracise anyone like yourself at a club because they may rely on you down the line. They know that you're a good player. You've made it into professional football. You've got to be a good player. It's not like, yeah. you know, it, it seems strange, but then you can see the effect of that upon a player and it becomes um, two-way street. Yeah, that's what I mean. And it, 
it very much is like that, to be honest. I think the thing that you can do sometimes is, like you said, ostracise players mm. um, because you feel like, no, they don't suit my, my style. But then on the other hand, you know, as a player, we can say, well, why don't you adjust the team to my style to get yeah. the best out of me, to get the best out of everyone? Um, like there was players actually that was at Wolves that came to Cardiff afterwards. So I'm there now and I'm playing regularly and they couldn't get in the squad. You know, they came on loan because they was playing a certain way. Um, but afterwards they couldn't play at Cardiff because they didn't fit into our system. And, you know, as much as Dave Jones did try and say, you know, I need you to play like this, because that was the kind of manner that Dave Jones was. It wasn't like, I need you to play like this in this team. It was kind of like, you know, you have a conversation with a player. Okay, what you do, what do you think you're good at? You know, yeah. how do you see yourself playing? And then there's dialogue. And that's why he was good. He's, he was a great man manager. Um, but then there's players that came that couldn't fit into mm. our team. And a lot of our players, you know, were technique-based, were, you know, wanted to pass the ball. Like we had Steve McFowl, you know, Peter yeah. Wynnum, Craig Bellamy came, Aaron Ramsey was there at a point. Wow. You know, with those kind of players that you have in a team, it, you can't all of a sudden say, okay, now play the long ball and, you know, miss out those that kind of quality in the field because it didn't work. How do you deal with that judgment from a manager then, the fickleness of it? Because one manager might think you're great, next manager doesn't think you're still the same person. How important is it listening to their feedback? But how important is it having a buffer? Because I can almost relate to it in television. Some people think, you know, some editors might think you're a good presenter. Others don't. It's a, there's a personal element to it as well. It's not just objective fact. Yeah. You could give your stats on the table, but actually some managers will like you, some, some won't. How did you keep your, your confidence in those moments? Because you did have an incredibly long, long career. Yeah, I think, first of all, you always have to believe in yourself. Yeah. Um, you always have to have that self-belief you know what you're good at. You, you know that you can perform if you're given the platform. I think within a team, you know, there needs to be a bit of a compromise. So for me, it, it, on the pitch, it was like, okay, I don't mind you dropping deep because me and Dave Jones had this conversation. I said, listen, I, I'm a striker. I love to score goals, but I like to get involved as well. And he was like, okay then, well, I'm happy for you to drop deep and get involved in the build-up play and do what you enjoy but you have to get back in the box. Mm. So that was my compromise with him. Yeah. And it worked um, because, you know, I, I was dropping deep, but then I was arriving in the box as well for crosses and, you know, pullbacks or, or, or wherever, it, wherever it may be. Um, so I think in football, there's a compromise to everything, you know, and you see that with the best players. You know, you see that with Liverpool, you see that with Guardiola, you, you see that because as much as he wants players to play his way, he wants the players to enjoy football, which ultimately means they can get the best out of themselves, which ultimately means that the team can be successful. Do you think Guardiola's conflicted over Jack Grealish? Because I watched Jack Grealish play and I was used to Jack Grealish at Vaston Villa getting the ball and he'd take a couple of men off and it was always feed it to him. And obviously that's difficult because at City, they go through De Bruyne more often than not and maybe Gundogan. Yeah. But it feels like that Grealish is just laying the ball off all the time. And I'm thinking, is it because that's Guardiola's way that he wants to keep the ball moving? But actually you're limiting Grealish and his, his potential. You need to let him you know, risk losing the ball with a, a little bit of individual flair. How do you see that? I mean, I see Grealish play the other day, actually, and... He seemed a bit better, as in, like, he, he was a bit more direct. Because Grealish is a powerful player. Like, once mm. he 
starts running at speed. You know, he's got strong legs. He's a strong player. He's got a good physique. Of course, he's got good quality. But I think when I watch Grealish play and I think about what he was doing at Aston Villa, yeah, Aston Villa, he was a star player. Everyone looked to give him the ball. And Man City is just another player. Mm. You know, and then you, you, you obviously compare him to players playing in the wide positions. So then you compare him to Foden, you compare him to Mares and Sterling, and you see the impact they've had on games. And then you automatically say, well, why is Grealish not doing that? Mm. Um, and obviously he has the, the £100 million pound, you know, tag. But, it, it, I mean, he definitely has the ability, but it's, it's going to be ones where he has to look at himself and say, OK, this is Guardiola's way. I've been here a, you know, a full season now. I understand the way he plays. I understand the way he trains, but I need to get the best out of myself so I can be successful. Because at the moment, there's a lots of question marks about him. I actually put something on Twitter um, mm. a few months ago. I said, if you could sell Grealish now for 60 million, you'd sell it. <laughs> and a lot of people said yes. Wow. A lot of people said yes. And, and I, was, I was surprised because, you know, he's, it's only his first season there, really. Yeah, you know, but he you... Has himself yeah. In. And he might go on somewhere else. I mean, I think he's... In type, in type of player, he feels like a Manchester United player. Historically, that kind of dribbling player, that yeah. kind of that, that enigmatic, charismatic kind of player that maybe a little bit more off the cuff, maybe City, I think, in Guardiola's mind. But Guardiola had Messi, but then Messi, it was, it was early in Guardiola's career, wasn't it? And Messi's like one of the world's greatest ever players. So you gave him the platform to dribble and, and have a bit more freedom, maybe. Yeah, yeah but I mean, again, like you, like you alluded to, they've got De Bruyne, they've mm. got Foden, they've got like players that I think are better than him. Mm. So they're going to go to those players more. You know, now they've you know, signed Haaland as well. So even more so, they're going to try and go through him because they're going to be looking for them through passes more. Like where now is they kind of go wide mm. because that's where their best players are. That's where their scorers are. But I think going forward, they're going to start trying to go through the middle a bit more, especially De Bruyne. Yeah. Know, De Bruyne is an thing. You know, he's going to be coming deep and like trying to play balls over the top and, you know, in down the sides of centre-halves. And Haaland's got that speed where he can run onto things. Whereas previously, Man City's been playing with a, a, a false nine, mm. whereas they're coming deep and then it's the wide players that are meant to be running in behind. Like you've seen with Mares and Sterling. That's why they score like 20 goals a season because that's what they're good at. Whereas Grealish, he's always coming to feet. You very rarely see him running behind, like sprinting behind. And I think that's what he needs to learn if he's going to be successful at Man City. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how he gets on. It's always fascinating watching from afar and, and seeing players' resilience and, and how they adjust. Obviously, as a United fan, I'm, I'm biased, but I always love David Beckham for that reason after the, the 98 World Cup, but also 2007 at Real Madrid when he was in his, his 30s by then. But Capello had dropped him, hadn't he, in the new year. I think Real were yeah. kind of out of the title race in Spain, and then and they came back in the team, didn't they? Yeah, yeah helping he, he, the, help won the league, and yeah, yeah. I think, was, I think they, I think they, that's they, the thing about Beckham. You look at Beckham. Mm. Beckham wasn't a fast winger. No, Beckham. He, he wasn't necessarily. You know, he wasn't strong. He had a good engine, and he had a he, he had a great cross, and he just thought, okay, I know what I'm good at, and I'm going to make the most of it and be effective when I do it, and that's what he done. He made a career out of it. Mm. You know, don't get me wrong, you know, he, 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 had a, he had style about his play, you know, everything was, you know, stylish about him, the way he dressed, the way, it, you know, went free, on the kick, free kicks, yeah, yeah, free kicks, yeah, like everything, he, he, he made the most out, out, out of himself, but then, you know, if you look at Grealish and say, 
okay, who's got more tools to their mm. game, you would say Greenish. Mm. But yeah. Beckham just knows, Beckham just knew what he was good at and he yeah. made the most of it. And he and made, I, like, he was star because of it. And Capello had said, hadn't he? He said when he announced that he was going to the States, Beckham, he'd said, you're never going to play for Real Madrid again. But apparently because Beckham was so consistent, so strong in training, I think the players went to Capello and said, oh, you need to maybe change your mind. Yeah. And then he came on and was playing amazing for them at the end of the season before he went to to Los Angeles, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, 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 I mean, that's one thing you you couldn't knock him for. You know, he came up in that era of what we were talking about earlier with, you know, the Roy Keynes, Paul Scholes, um, you know, York, Cole, Giggs, you know, they all had a great attitude and mm. that was because of Ferguson. So it's no surprise that he goes to, goes to Real Madrid and he's consistent with his attitude. He's consistent with his training. He just keeps going and going and going. So when he is needed, he can step up and perform. And that's what happened at Real Madrid. Yeah, no, um, it, yeah. And it, and it was impressive when English players go abroad and, and play like you, but you have done as well. And you went to Perugia. What were you, how old were yeah. you, 20, 21 or something like that? You played in yeah, Serie A? Serie What was that yeah, like? I was, 20, I was 21. It was, it was a great experience, actually. It made me really understand football um, mm. in a sense that, sorry, in All a right. sense that um, before I went to Italy, it was kind of like, you kind of just try things in training. You know, that's where you make your mistakes. That's where you do, you know, express yourself. And then, you know, you try and put that into a game. But when I went there, it was like, no, no, no. you have to train like you play. <laughs> um, so like, and, and the Italian players, they were really aggressive. There was a lot of weights. You know, I never did weights in my life. Mm. Um, there was a lot of squatting and a lot of those kind of weights before training, um, after training. But, there I got to learn about diet as well. Like I never used to eat vegetables at all. I never wow. had salmon. I never used to even eat fish. <laughs> and, then I went, and then I went there and it was like my whole diet changed. Now I'm learning a new language. Um, but in the beginning, it was really tough, Ed. It was really, mm. really tough because I was there and I couldn't speak the language. I'm, so I'm learning, you know, the players that could speak English, they had the extra time off. So I was kind of by myself for about three weeks before they even came back. You know, I was, you know, I'd cry myself to sleep. You know, I'd say to oh, my man. parents, man, I don't know if I can do this because I'm just depressed. Um, I remember I had a, a phone bill you know, back then and I, my phone bill was 7,000 euros for a month and I wasn't even getting paid that much. Whoa, whoa. You know, so it was, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. It was really tough. But then as time went on, I just, I just persevered. Um, the players that could speak English came back, which made it easier. So we'd go out and have dinner and, you know, we'd go you know, shopping after training, which is more my life. Mm. So I started getting those things back again, um, which was great. Um, but it, it was a great experience for me. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I went there, to be honest, because I used to watch um, Football Italia on Channel 4. Yeah, James Richardson, yeah. Yeah, yeah James Richardson, yeah. So I, I used to go there. We used to watch it. Me and my dad used to watch it on, on a Sunday um, after after I played, and I always said that if I had the opportunity to go to play in Serie A, because Serie A at the time as well was the best league in the world. It was the strongest; mm. all the best players were there. Um, so when I went there, it was a, it was an amazing experience. I got to meet a lot of like play against a lot of world, some of the greats, the greatest ever. Mm. Um, I got some of their shirts. Who, who'd you well. play? Who, who was the best? Who was the the, the highlights the best, you played against? The best defender of Maldini was the oh, best. Wow. Nesta. Um, Cannavaro was there, was he? Cannavaro played there. Conte played. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, so you pay, yeah you pay that, but before, sure. before the hair. Yeah, before the hair. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> um, like, but like Kaka, um, Shevchenko, Vieri, Adriano, like all these kind of like players that you look back at now and you say, wow, like they were like real, real greats. Yeah. Um, that had great scoring records. Roberto Baggio, Piero. Wow. Yeah, so like it was, it was like really enjoyable. Totty, totty. I'm, I'm thinking back now. It's coming like back to Totti. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really great time for Italian football, and I was, I was happy that I could be there to, to, to play in that. But I remember when I first signed, my manager Sergio calls me. He said, "If you could get like, you know, seven to ten goals in a season, he said that would be like scoring fifteen to twenty goals in another league." He yeah. said because defenders are that good and everything's tactical. You know, they, they, in, in Italy at that time, they wouldn't really start defending until you cross the halfway line. Mm. And then they would kind of... Okay, yeah, yeah, sit so back. It was, it was difficult Is it to Kat, break a team down. And Kat, Catanaccio was the like kind of sweeper thing, wasn't it? They have like a guy that dropped deep and they'd have like behind, yeah, behind yeah, the three. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it was... It was difficult to get used to that game because I came from the English game, obviously, which was a bit, you know, it was more high pace, you know, closing fullbacks down, all that kind of stuff. And now they're basically saying, get back into shape and start defending when they cross the halfway line. <laughs> so I was like, you know, obviously being a spring chicken them times, you know, I was like, I'm not even tired after a football match because you're not letting me defend from the front. Yeah, well, um, that used to be a theory as well, didn't it? I remember like the best players, they'd say to them, you know, don't bother pressing. We want to keep you fit for the attacking element of the yeah. game. Keep, yeah, keep, and that's, keep what, that's what the mentality was, actually. Yeah. Because, you know, the attacking players, you know, especially at the clubs I'm talking about, like AC Milan's and, and, and those kind of teams, it was very much like that. They wouldn't really get involved in the defending. It was more like they're conserving their energy to attack. Mm. Hey, let me just get my charger. Hold on, sorry. No, no, you go for it, bud. Sorry. No worries. I just, got, I just got to stand this up now. Hold on. No, you do oh, it, man. You do it. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah, there you go. I can just do it this way. It's all good. Uh, best, yeah, that's, but that's weird with Serie A, isn't it? You say like the defensive stuff. We grew up watching, I grew up watching Football Italia. It's amazing because you actually look like you're 25, but you're uh, a, few, <laughs> a, few, a, few, a few months younger than me. I think you just turned um, 40, but it's, it's, it's amazing now because I look at Tammy Abraham and I'm like, wow, guy scored 24 goals this season in, in Italy. That's just unreal. Yeah. And, and the, But then I think, is it different now? Is it, is it changed? Because people then, then people say to me, oh, Chris Smalling's playing wonderfully at, <laughs> at centre-half as well. So for, for yeah. Roma. yeah. That's what I mean. It was like, it's kind of, the, obviously the league's changed now and, you know, of the, the, the best league in the world is the Premier League. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's sorry, all right, bud. You take, no, you take your time. There you go. You look great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Um, all right. Yeah. Go. So yeah. So how do you? What, what do you think's happened? They they change their tactics. Just not the quality of players there in Italy. How does it? How does it work? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's still quality players there, but I think because of you know financial reasons, I think you know the way the Premier League is viewed around the world is is the best league in the world. All the best players seem to gravitate to the Premier League. So I think Italian football is 
is in a transitional stage. But I think that's happened, you know, over, especially in my lifetime, you know, there's been times when Serie A mm. was the best in the world. You know, then La Liga was arguably mm. the best in the world. And, you know, now it's the Premier League. Um, so right now, all the best players kind of gravitate to England. Whereas in before, all the, all the greatest players, you know, gravitated to Italy and, and, and La Liga. Well, what it's is it? Generational. They've got a very similar population, haven't they? I think a few more million than, than England, but I think it's probably 10 million or so. I can't, I've got it in front of me, but they've won so many international tournaments. They won the World Cup in 2006, yeah. a few years after yeah. you. They just won the Euros, but they didn't qualify for the coming World Cup. It almost doesn't matter because they've, they've still yeah. won the Euros last year. Is there a difference in mindset there? Did you see that culturally when you're in Italy? Yeah, I think, I think the, the mindset is what we talked about. They're very tactical. Mm. You know, then if, if, if they feel that they can't beat you possession-wise, they're happy to just sit off you, be difficult to break down and win a game like that. that that's the key thing for them is winning. Um, it's not necessarily playing nice football. It's just, you know, getting the result when you need the result. My wife's actually Italian, so like... We oh, need... awesome. You met her there? Pardon? Did you meet her there when you were playing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I met her when I was there. So, like, she's always giving me banter about Italy. Like, how many World Cups <laughs> have you won and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I can't really argue with but, that. But, but what you're saying there as well is being adaptable, isn't it? Which I think is a good thing in life. But you think I think sometimes we talk about teams coming up from the championship. It's almost like it's, in some ways you admire them, like Norwich coming up and trying to go toe-to-toe with teams. But then you, you're getting beaten by seven. You think maybe you should, you know, just yeah, be, I, be I, hard I, to I beat. That, yeah. I had that same conversation with Chris Sutton the other day. I was yeah. like, okay, you come up and you try and play a certain way, which is great. But surely after, you know, I don't know, five, ten games, you say, okay, well, this ain't working. Let me adapt now and just try and get the points however yeah. however I can. Um, and I haven't done that. So for me, I'm looking at it saying, well, are you happy? You're, it looks like you're happy to go up and, and go down mm. every year because yeah. of the philosophy. Whereas for me, I prefer you to just come up, see what you're good at. If it's not working, adapt and try and get the points. Because that's the most important thing, you know, staying in the Premier League. That's the most important thing. And mm. if you can adapt to a style to get those points, then great, you know, and then each season improve, bring better players in, and then you can get to that point where you can do what you want to do. Mm. But I think ultimately football is about getting results. It's a results-based game. If you're getting results, you know, no one can really complain. Like, you know, Sam Allardyce's teams, yeah, you know, until 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 recently, he just got results. He missed, yeah. he, he, you know, he avoided renegation all the time because he just played percentage football. He knew what he was good at. He knew how how he could get results, and that's what he, you know, based his style on. Well, look at look at Antonio Conte. I don't think Tottenham ever play the same game. I think they always play according to the opposition. They have a different different game plan yeah. around possession. And Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp didn't like it with the Liverpool game, but it was like, well, we're going to sit off and pick you off on the on the counter. That was that's how they did it, and it, it worked. Yeah. And even. Even Ferguson at United, you're, he sat back in certain games if he thought the opposition would like. Yeah, was there, there was a point. There was a point, wasn't there, when when um, Man United with Ferguson used to play against Arsenal. He knew mm. Arsenal was going to have the ball. Yeah, Arsenal were going to have possession majority of the time, but he just attacked. You know, counter attacked with the likes of Giggs, the likes of Beckham, and you had great strikers up front that could finish. Um, and that's how he exposed um, Arsenal. You know, he had Keane in there with skulls. Yeah, you know they could. They got around the pitch. You know, Keane obviously was really aggressive. Um, you know, he set the tone. He was always kind of that player. You know, from afar looking in, that would 
you know, have that battle with whatever team it was. Like for Arsenal, it was Patrick Vieira and, you know, Emmanuel Petit, those kind of players, Gilberto Silva. You know, he would have that battle and Skulls was that guy that kind of was spreading the ball around. Um, but again, Ferguson team adapted and they were successful. Yeah, massively. What's it like to be retired now? Because you've done so much wandering around the world. We talk about Thailand yeah. and Japan the last yeah. sort of five, six, seven years. What's it, what's it like to be retired from football? I know you're still active. I work with you at Sky yeah. Sports, obviously, but what, what's, how does that change of identity feel for you? Um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, to be honest. I thought, before, when, I, when I thought to myself, because in my mind, I was thinking around September, you know, I was, I was having a really tough time because my son was, he's four years old. Mm. Um, and he was, you know, like we are FaceTiming me like every day, twice a day crying you know why aren't you coming home you know don't you love me and you know oh, all wow. these kind of things. and it's like in the end that it, it it just got to me and I was just like listen I, I can't do this man he's like he's the most it, you know there's more than football now um for me I think the fact that I got to retire on my own terms you know they offered me a new contract but in, I got in Japan this is, yeah 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 they offered me a new, a new um one-year deal with a one-year option um, and I just said to them, listen, unless the government can change their rules and my family can come here, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be staying. Um, and obviously that, that didn't happen. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to call it a day. But I think the fact that I got to retire on my own terms, you know, it wasn't a case of I had an injury or I couldn't, I couldn't find the club. Yeah. Um, your injury, your injury record. I, I've just had an operation after playing five a side. You've never had an operation. What, what was your injury secret playing till 40 and never having any of that? Sorry, Jay, I've kept you a long time. We just, uh, I think you switched. No, no, it's great. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying talking to you. Really, I've got, I've got time on my hands. No, I've, I've, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying like um, taking my son to school each morning and, and picking him up, you know, spending time with him, doing his homework with him. And the, the fact that I'm having, I can see the positive effect I'm, I'm having on his life, um, which is great. Um, but like I said, you know, I had a 23 year career. Um, all I know is is football. You know, waking up in the morning. What, and, what was and, the secret to the, no injuries then? What was that? Because you're you're a lax guy. You think that's it? Is it just not landing heavy? What was the the key? I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think genetics. But I just I wasn't one of those players. You know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wasn't one of those players. Um, yeah, I got stuck in, but I just was fortunate that I never got like a serious injury. I, you know, I pulled like hamstrings and, and calf muscles but I never had any knee problems or, mm. or or ankle or anything like that I had a bit of wear and tear on my toe joints over the years you know like from kicking people's yeah. studs and whatnot um but no real issues that would you know I, I'm still playing in charity games now like I played in a few and played oh. 90 minutes um, I'm still Blimey. feeling pretty good yeah you look you look great you look a great in great Nick as well I've got to try and get back there this year and try and get um get fit. What are, you, what are your lessons then from the career? It's a wonderful 23-year career to say. Do you think you needed those lows? Is it, is it built you up mentally? Do you feel a stronger guy now? Yeah. You had, you had the tough times. You did so much travelling, you know, Italy, around the UK, obviously, but then Japan and Thailand. Yeah, That's amazing. That. I definitely feel that, Ed. I feel like because of my ups and downs and my lows, I feel like I'm, I'm more equipped to deal with things like mentally. I know mental issues now is, is a big thing, especially mm. in football. Um, so I think 
with my ups and downs, my 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 depression, you know, at a young age, like I said, when I was in Italy, I think that helped me grow as a person. Um, so now, like, when I have conversations with younger people and they talk about, the, you know, the tough times they're having in football and, you know, the lows and, you know, how to feel once they, once they have that disappointment. Because, you know, in sport, in life, you know, you're going to have them disappointments, but it's how you bounce back and how you react that can really help you progress. Um, so I've had a lot of ups and downs, but, you know, for me, I think those lessons I've had in my career uh, is going to help me later on in life. I, I just, you know, I was joking. I, I think I was joking with you, you know, mm. when I was saying that, you know, I've been living the dream for 23 years you know, now my life's starting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know how to pay. I, I don't even know how to pay taxes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you make sure you pay them. That's always exactly. A, yeah. that, that, that's not a nice letter. I've had one of those letters before where you get a letter saying you owe X, Y, Z. That's not a nice uh, a nice adjustment to try and make. Yes, I'm trying to keep on top of that now. What 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 is it for you? Doing great work with us at Sky Sports News in the media. Is it is it that? Is it coaching? Do you want to do do some work? No, there? no, I, I don't. I don't want to do coaching. Um, I feel like being a coach is you know it's great. Um, especially if you're one of the, the the biggest clubs in the world, but I feel like you've you're kind of living the same lifestyle as a footballer longer because you have to be there before fo the players, you have to be there after the players, you have to prepare. Um, you know, you get obviously you get the same holidays and whatnot. So for me, it, that's something that I've been in there and done that now. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm focusing on now trying to be the best. You know, pundit. You know. Uh, whatever it may be that that I can be going forward on Sky and you know I'm really enjoying it um obviously I, and, and because because you know generally speaking you know with Sky for example you, you get you work in the evenings yeah uh, uh, during the week and on the weekend you work in the afternoon so like Monday to Friday during the day I can kind of get and do whatever I want to do which yeah. is great yeah, you've got, you got nice energy about you. And I wonder if that comes about being in so many different changing rooms, you get used to meeting people, adjusting to different environments. I think that's a big positive. But how good is this for your family? How much is it about giving back to your family? Because I think even in my, in my work, working weekends, et cetera, you, a lot of people around you sacrifice for, for your dream in a way, don't they? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, my, especially me, you know, like you said, I've traveled around a lot in my career. You know, my family has been very supportive, my wife especially. Um, she followed me everywhere. Um, mm. You know, now she's set up her company. She's got a tech company, you know, which is great. And, you know, I'm supporting her now. You know, she's she's at home and, you know, doing work and, you know, trying to achieve her dreams um, for us. And, you know, for me, I'm 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 doing the, you know, I don't School know. Run. What, I don't, don't want to say this sounds derogatory, but it's what, you know, I know yeah. a mother would normally do. The, hard, the hard stuff. Yeah. yeah, the hard stuff. Exactly. Yeah getting him changed in the morning, you know, dressing him, doing his homework with him, all them kind of things. So it's great that, you know, the, the, the you know, things have changed now, the turns, uh, I don't know how you say it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it and it's great. And, you know, I come to Sky Sports, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning off people like yourself and speaking to people, networking, understanding. Um, because I think most people, when they watch, um, you know, people on TV summarise games and talk about games, you know, they think, oh, it's easy, mm. you know, but they don't realise that you've only got a small window yeah. to get as much information as cross as possible. And, you know, sometimes people are not even watching games. And, you know, I didn't really 
that before. You know, sometimes people are just listening. So you have to try and make it sound exciting. If the game's exciting, you have to even make it exciting, even if the game's boring, you know? So I think that's something that I've had to adapt to, but I'm, I'm liking it. I love learning and, you know, I just want to be the best that I can be at this now. How do you find judging other players that previously, I guess, you would have been playing with or whatever? Does it feel like it's okay as long as you're fair, as long as you substantiate a point with evidence? Because you, you can get some pundits who just want to sensationalise and they'll just, you know, destroy people. But I think, I guess, they, they don't go down too well in dressing rooms. No, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not like that. I'm not going to no. destroy people. But, you know, I think it, it's, it's our job now to be objective. Um, like for example, you know, I was I was on Talk Sport talking about Arsenal while the Tottenham, you know, the <laughs> Arsenal Tottenham game is going, and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling like, man, this I'm depressed, and and I'm I'm emotional, but obviously I have to be objective about it. You know, I have to look at the game as a whole, and I have to describe it in a way that, you know, why Tottenham are playing so well, why they're so good, the effect that Conte has, how good Kane and Son is. Um, the fact that Arsenal don't have a world-class player and they've got a young team, you know, those kind of things, you know, you have to take it all into consideration now. Um, but I think because I've played in a lot of dressing rooms and I've had a lot of managers, I've, you know, I've, I'm, I'm able to network and understand people and, and take things on board where, you know, there's some people that don't like to, there's some mm. people that just, listen, this is me, take it or leave it. But for me, I'm happy to adapt. I want to adapt. I want to grow. I want to be better. Um, and, and that's the only way you can is by listening and learning to other people that's been in the game a lot of years. Yeah, I love it. It's powerful. And you, you are a great communicator as well. As you say, it's not easy in real time when you've got a microphone or a camera on you, particularly even at Sky Sports News, because that's a different vibe to talk sports, kind of like talk sports, almost a locker room feel when you're, when you're there, like yeah. a cha changing room vibe, hasn't it? Whereas Sky Sports News is, and like, like I think Jeff Stelling always says about Sky Sports, it's like, it's like TV on radio. So you're trying to describe with a camera on you what's happening in a game, which isn't an easy, an easy thing to do yeah. in, in 20 seconds or whatever. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And to be honest, actually, when I, the, the hardest, um, the hardest game I did was actually the first game when I came back. I remember uh, we did, um, it, it was uh, Coventry. Oh, God, who is it? Coventry again. Old, your old club, Coventry, yeah. It, it was Coventry against someone. I think it might have been West Brom. Yeah. Uh, but I remember... I went to the stadium and I just had, you know, I had my shirt, uh, my, my, my shirt on, my blazer on, my, you know, trousers on. And, <laughs> and then I'm walking there and I'm thinking, we're on the gantry. It's December, <laughs> you know, and I see Kevin Phillips and I, and I see, you know, Pratt's and they're like wrapped up in a big, nice jacket, gloves on, you know, scarf yeah. on. And I'm like, I'm like sitting there freezing the hot, you know, to be fair, like they gave me them, you know, the, the hand warmers, you know, just try to make me as you need some long long johns you find some shivering. long johns yeah. Was, yeah yeah i was shivering i was so cold i couldn't believe it and now my feet were freezing it was just it was hard to talk and when i watched it back you know you couldn't even hear me sniffling like <laughs> all the time so that was really difficult but i think since then you know i've had um i've had some media lessons as well um i've watched you know i, I always watch my my things back because i think it's important to mm. to see if I could have said anything better or if I could have described something better. Um, you know, it's like games, like football matches. I always watch my games back just to see, you know, if there's anything I can do, you know, so the next time I'm in that situation again, I can improve at it. Um, but I'm, re I'm really enjoying it, actually. I'm really enjoying it.
Well, good for you. It's a great attitude. And I think it is a lot like that in terms of just repetition, review, adjust and repeat. Again, it's practice, isn't it? Like anything in life, I think the more you do it, the, the better you get. As long as you're kind of conscious. And I think it's amazing that you're actually looking back and, and analysing yeah. it, which helps. Not getting obsessed by it, but just making adjustments as you, yeah. as you go is, is powerful. And, de- well, and dealing with new think- situations, which you're, which you're great at. So, I'll tell, tell you what was difficult. You know, when you, like you, you do, you get a stat pack. Mm. I'm looking at this stat pack and I was like, man, I was like, when is it going to stop? <laughs> yeah, so much. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. I'm like, when is this going to stop? Yeah. And, you know, so like even that, like in itself, like taking notes, um, the research of it, you know, where you can just, you know, you look at the point, you know, before I was just like writing, you know, a small sentence like, of what I could potentially say. Now it's like the, the points and, you know, remembering what you're going to say. So now it's just becoming a bit easier. Um, just being selective with the stats, isn't it? Because it's actually in, in, yeah. in the smartphone era, fans can look at stats themselves as well. So it's just knowing when it's relevant to, to drop in, not yeah. getting obsessed, because you can get carried away with my prep when you're doing an update on a game. It's like, give all this information, but actually people just want to know what the score is, yeah. what the ball is, and, and what, yeah. what the key moments be. But there's been times like when I've done games, and um, for example, there might be a serious injury, mm. and like the stops for like a few minutes, and then you're on, and it's like, there's nothing to talk about. So at that point, you have to refer back to the stats and say, you know, yeah. this is a tight game. You know, they haven't won for, you know, 10, 10 attempts. And, you know, when they've, when they've gone behind 1-0 or, yeah. you know, that kind of information that you wouldn't normally use, but you need it to fill that gap when you need to speak about it. And some stats never seem relevant to me, like the ones where they do, like, on a Monday night, this team's only won three out of 12 games. You're like... Is it the Monday or is it the opponents that have it on? Yeah. It's not like they don't like Mondays. They just don't play well on a Monday. So I'm not sure what that's, that means, whether you can infer yeah. too much from it. So it's, it's, a, it's a funny old game, but it's just getting selective with the, the information, isn't it? Which is an ongoing challenge for all of us and, and that communication. Jay, it's been yeah. powerful to speak to you. Really appreciate it, mate. Um, yeah. and it's great to see you well. And it's great to know that you've yeah kind of entered this next stage and you're, you're so full of enthusiasm for it as you were the, the playing career. And what a career it was. And great to, great to share those stories with you, mate. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ed. It's great speaking to you. Speak soon. Take care, pal. Bye, mate. What a man. Jay Bothroyd had a fantastic way around him, which I think has definitely helped him. Certainly my shifts with him on Sky Sports News coming in, just a relaxed ease to him. And I kind of wonder whether that is, is something that's natural, that's helped him in his career, but maybe it's part of that environment changing clubs a lot, going through different changing rooms, having those stresses, those tribulations, just learning to keep that... I guess over many years, that internal equilibrium, and it certainly serves him well in, in life because I think having that relaxed demeanor, making people feel at ease is a real skill, and I hope you enjoyed that too. Got a few technical problems in there, but apologize for that. Um, hopefully it kind of made it even more real. It's certainly uh, kind of uh, on the Zoom Zoom situation, which I'm trying to kind of veer away from as much as I can, but things like that I think are definitely worth doing on Zoom. People who you know, you've got that connection with, sometimes it's more difficult when you're trying to forge a connection off the bat through a screen. But I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Jay Bothroyd. Please let me know if you do. You can review it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. I think the Spotify audience has grown a little bit, which is great. And there's 12, 13 other platforms that this goes out on, including Acast, etc. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Just tell a friend as well. That'd be great too. Or share it on the dreaded social media. Uh, But yeah, I appreciate you listening to it first and foremost as well. Thank you to you. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service 
and installations, check out BO underscore Cheltenham on social media or the website online and get in touch with Jason Briggs and his uh, fine fellows of uh, the team he has there in the courtyard in Montpellier, the French region of this town, Cheltenham, in the west of England. Thank you to Cytoplan as well, food-based supplement company. If you're looking to optimise your immunity and want to try their supplements, head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and at checkout, you get 30% off on your first purchase, 10% thereafter, with the discount code draper 10 Ah, so my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And if you would like to check out atticboxaudio.co.uk, love you too. There's a promotional video there documenting exactly what we do in terms of sitting down with members of the public and me teasing out their life story, I suppose, in a similar way as I have done on podcasts and interviews as a sports broadcaster down the years. But in this context, members of the public are just getting to know them and getting to know their life story for the benefit of family and loved ones for posterity, but also just to connect generations so future generations can know about who their forefathers, foremothers were, but also their uh, their lessons as well. It's really interesting to what people, how the people reflect on it. So check out atticboxaudio.co.uk, A-T-T-I-C-B-O-X, audio.co.uk. Would appreciate you you're doing that for sure. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and goodbye for now.